Was there a more epic moment in movie history than the ultimate Avenger team up right there? That had never been done before. Four characters of that magnitude and two other characters forming this team, this new team of Avengers. Now, this was back in 2012. This was the first Avengers movie. Um, and since then, they've made other Avenger movies. And, and now, like this past week, Becky asked me, she's like, so how many Avengers are there? So that's a very complicated question. Um, there, there's like the sidekicks to the Avengers. There's the real Avengers. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot of them. But at this time, there was the six right there and the four main ones. And, and they came together for the first time to tell this story that was larger than life. Now, we as humans have been fascinated with superheroes and superheroes have owned the box office for nearly the last 20 years. They started back in 2002 when the first Spider-Man movie came out. When the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, not, not my personal favorite Spider-Man, but, you know, I don't judge. So when he came out, this, that was the first time that people looked at it and said like, wow, that's not just a cool superhero movie. That's actually kind of a, a cool movie. And they had three Spider-Man movies came out and then X-Men came out and they had their trilogy and didn't know when to stop making movies. And then uh, my favorite trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy, just really set Batman. And I grew up with like the 90s Batmans and like all eight different characters, actors they had play Batman. Like, don't want to talk about those. But Christian Bale's Batman set the scene for a very realistic Batman and a realistic Gotham that he could exist in. And they made a lot of money. And then in 2008, the first Iron Man movie came out. And even when that came out, I don't think people realized the scope of what would unfold over the next 12 years. Is they had Iron Man and Iron Man 2, and then Thor had his movie, Hulk had a movie, Captain America had his movie. And then in 2012, all four of them came together on the big screen for the first time ever to tell this grand story that was larger than life. And it was just the first part of a story. And over the next seven years, they would continue to tell this story that spanned over 10 years, over 20 movies, and has to date grossed over $20 billion in the box office. Not including DVDs and Blu-rays and digital downloads and merchandise and action figures and balloons and all the other stuff. Just in the box office alone, the Marvel franchise has made over $20 billion. And Avengers Endgame, which came out this year, which kind of wrapped, wrapped up this phase of movies is now the highest grossing movie of all time. And we as human beings, we're fascinated by this. But can you imagine if you were on the streets of New York City that day? You're walking to school or you're walking to your next appointment and you got your coffee and your bagel and all of a sudden this portal opens up in the sky and hundreds if not thousands of aliens riding spacecraft just start coming down shooting blue lasers just blowing everything up. What would you do? Like, what would you really do? <laughs> like, this is a battle you are not prepared to fight, right? This is a battle you are not ready for. You are completely underprepared, overwhelmed, scared to death, terrified, and you're just going to run in a panic. You're going to find the nearest place to hide. And there's this scene that goes on, and I just want to show like the whole battle of New York scene, but it's way too long for this. But there's this scene where these two police officers are there, and one comes up and he says, it's going to take an hour to scramble the National Guard. He's like, National Guard? Do they know what's happening? And he said, do we? Do we know what's happening? All of a sudden, these people that thought that they just lived this ordinary life, all of a sudden realized there was something bigger than them that existed beyond their world. I think we as human beings gravitate towards that kind of story because it reflects 
the image of God in us. It reflects the story of the history of mankind that has been going on for thousands of years, that there is this story beyond you, beyond me, beyond our little world that exists. And Marvel has perfected grasping that desire within us to be a part of a story that's bigger than we are. And they've made plenty of dollars off of telling that story, brilliantly telling that story. They're some of my favorite movies. Now, there's a part in this movie where this battle of New York's going, there's only the six Avengers, right? Like that's it. It's just six of them taking on thousands of aliens that are coming through this portal. And then some really, really big aliens that all of a sudden Hulk can smash, which is pretty cool. So they're fighting all these things. And while they do, Captain America kind of devises this strategy and he splits them all up and they all have their different things that they're trying to accomplish. And then Hawkeye, who's the guy with the bow and arrows, who Jeremy Renner made Hawkeye cooler than he was ever supposed to be. He's up on a rooftop and he's calling things out while he's shooting alien spacecrafts down with an arrow. I don't know. But as he's calling things out, he notices that there's civilians that are cornered in a bank. And even though there's millions of lives at stake, there's thousands of aliens to fight against. He calls Captain America and Captain America stops what he's doing. And he goes and he makes it personal and he goes and takes care of and fights the battle that this group of civilians couldn't fight on their own. Let's see what happens. A huge battle going on all over Manhattan. And Cap could have said, I have bigger things going on to worry about. I can't get over to that. But instead, he took time out to fight the battle for a small group of people. And I think in the same way, I think there's a God that exists that we're drawn to these stories because I think it reflects the story of God and the story of humanity. And, and even though God is hanging the entire universe in balance and he's fighting all these battles all across our world that we can't even see, he still knows and understands what's personally happening in your life. And he's able to step out from everything else that's happening and focus in on what's happening in your little world. And I think in the story of the Avengers, I think we see a reflection of the gospel. I want to take a look in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Verse 6 starts like this. It says, when we were utterly helpless. Have you ever been utterly helpless? Like not like ordinary helpless, like utterly helpless. Ordinary helpless is like I can't get this jar open and you're fighting and you loosen it and you hand it to your spouse and they open it for you, right? Like that's ordinary helpless. Utterly helpless is trying to fold a fitted sheet, helpless. Utterly helpless is trying to teach your parents how to do the floss, helpless. Like, like it's just not going to happen, right? Like you're completely, absolutely, 100% helpless. There's no way in the world this can be accomplished. This is an impossible task. We were utterly helpless, Paul said. And when we were, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God demonstrated his love. He proved his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Here's the deal. Each and every, sing, every one of us, every single one of us 
has sinned. We've done wrong things. Sin is anything that we think, say, or do that goes against what God says. And God knows what's best for us. And there's certain things in our world that are sinful. They go against what he teaches. And it's not because he just wants to control us and make our life miserable, but he knows what is best for us. In the same way, parents, you put rules for your kids because you know what is best for them, not because you don't want them to ever have any fun in life, but you want them to live a long life. And so we put rules in place because we know what's best for them. And we might not always understand those rules, but we trust in the people that put those because we trust them because they love us. God has put rules in our lives. And when we go against those things, when we sin, we go against what God says. And it could be evil thoughts. It could be evil words. It could be evil actions that we do when we hit our brother and sister, when we lie, when we back talk, even when we think evil things. It's called sin and it goes against what God says. And here's the deal in the book of Romans, and we see it here in this passage and in other verses throughout the book of Romans, when Paul talks about sin, payment of our sin, the punishment of our sin, the penalty of our sin, the wages of our sin is death. This goes back all the way to the beginning of the Bible. When God created the world, he created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, and he placed them in a garden called Eden. And they could do anything they wanted in the garden, but they had one rule. One rule to follow. Sometimes I think, man, if I just had one rule to follow, life would be pretty good. Except I probably wouldn't be able to follow that one rule. And they had one rule, and it was don't eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. It's like, you got all these other trees. That should be easy. But they broke down, and they went against God. And, and God had told them, when you eat that fruit, if you eat that fruit, you will surely die. Sin has always been paired with death because the payment of our sin, the punishment of our sin is death. And when Adam and Eve ate that piece of fruit, they didn't kill over and die immediately, right? Like it wasn't like it was a poison apple and they just got taken out. But instead they had this separation from God. And I often think in terms of this death is a separation from God, which is worse than death. But they started this separation that would be an eternal separation if we can't do anything about it. Because we're over here and we used to have this relationship with God, this communion with God where we were one with God. And Adam and Eve would go on walks in the garden with God and they would talk with God and they would be with God. And then all of a sudden when sin entered the world, it caused this cosmic divide between us and God. This death that existed between us and God. And we were utterly helpless to do anything about it on our own. It was impossible for us to do anything about it on our own good works because no matter how many good things that we do, it's not enough because God has done all the good things. And God's never done anything wrong. He is perfect. He's blameless. He's never sinned, not even one time. And because he is perfect, he cannot have anything imperfect in his presence. Right, And so no matter how many good things we do, it's not enough to cross this divide because there's still sin. There's still blemishes. There's still flaws. There's still wrong things. And those wrong things keep us from God. It spoils the whole thing. I love macaroni and cheese. Some of you know that about me. I take my mac and cheese very, very seriously. I bake it. It's homemade. It's the one thing that I cook in the house. And it's the only thing I know how to make, really. So I, when I make mac and cheese, it's the homemade thing. You get the flour and the milk and the butter and the cheese. And you, you bake that thing. You throw the breadcrumbs on it. You throw it in the oven. It's perfect. It is amazing. I love it. If I came over to your house with a pan of freshly baked mac and cheese, that'd be a pretty nice gift, right? Unless you're like lactose intolerant. Sorry. But... 
It'd be a pretty, it'd be a pretty nice gift. What if I said, hey, I just baked this mac and cheese. It's amazing. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. Um, there is a cockroach in the middle, um, but just eat around it. You know, like just ignore that part, cut, the, cut out around it and just, you know, just don't eat that part. As soon as I left and you closed the door, you would throw that John in the trash. Like you ain't touching that thing because that spoiled the whole, you're like, I don't want that recipe. Get rid of that. That spoils the whole thing. Just one sin, just one blemish, just one flaw separates us from God. And we are utterly helpless to do anything about it in our own power. There is nothing that we can do on our own to fix this divide. But while we were still sinners, God showed his great love for us by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. And Jesus came into this world and he was born in a stable, laid his head down in a manger that animals ate out of, grew up, had brothers and sisters, and never once sinned. Can you imagine having a big brother that never once sinned? Never did anything wrong? And your mom's always like, why can't you be like your brother? Like, just be more like Jesus. And you're like, no. He never sinned, not even one time. Never backtalked his mom, never got angry and hit his brother and sister, never told a lie, never sinned. And because he had never sinned, he didn't have to die, but he willingly laid down his life. He sacrificed his life on a cross for you, for me, because there was no way on our own that we could be together with God because someone had to die for the wrong things that we'd done. And God loved us too much to let it be us. And so he sent his own son, Jesus, into the world to bridge this gap, to cross the divide and to make a way for us to be in relationship with him again. Because the sin that separated us, the death penalty has been paid already when Jesus offered his life for ours. And so we don't have to experience death. We don't have to experience separation from God anymore. We now have access to God. And this is the gift that he offers to us. This is the gospel message. This is the gift that Jesus, that God offers to every single one of us. The gift of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Now, I was thinking about how you judge the quality of a gift, right? And I think there's two different ways that you, you kind of judge this. I think on the one hand, you have the giver of the gift. In this case, it's God. You have the giver of the gift, and there is a cost to the giver. It's going to cost the giver of the gift something if he gives a gift to someone. If I give you a gift of a dollar, it's going to cost me a dollar, there's a cost associated with the gift. And then there's also on the terms of the recipient, there is a value that they have in the eyes of the giver. And the value to them determines the cost of the gift that the giver is going to give, right? So it's like this. Once upon a time, I met this girl and she was really cute and I fell in love with her and married her. Her name is Becky. And I, at a certain point in time, decided that she had more value to me than anyone else in the world. I decided that she had ultimate value in my eyes. She was more valuable to me than anyone or anything. And I wanted to give a gift that demonstrated that value that she had. Problem was, was I didn't have a lot of money. So it couldn't be a monetary gift because there was no amount of money. Even if I had millions and millions of dollars, I could not give her a monetary gift that accurately portrays the value that she has in my life. 
And so I gave the only thing that I knew how to do that the cost could match the value. I gave her the gift of my entire life. I gave her a ring and I promised that for the rest of my life, I would love her. I'd be devoted to her. I would serve her. I'd be committed to her and I would sacrifice her. And that's the only gift that I could come up with where the cost on my behalf equaled the value that she had in my eyes. Does that make sense? So think about in terms of that neighbor that mows their lawn at seven in the morning on a Saturday. Their value might be somewhere around here because they mow their lawn every Saturday at seven in the morning, except on holiday weekends at 6 a.m. If we got invited to a big neighborhood birthday party for them and you felt obligated to go because they live right next door to you and you wanted to give them a gift, you may give them a gift where the cost matches the value that they have in your sight. Now think about it Christmas time. Some of you, you have a favorite brother or sister, right? Their value might be somewhere around here because they annoy you sometimes, but not as much as the other one. And so when you give gifts at Christmas time, you might feel obligated to give a gift that matches the value of that one. And you know what? Even though the other one's value is here, you ain't trying to start nothing in your family, so you'll just up it a little bit. You'll make a bigger sacrifice and give a gift that matches that. But we feel obligated to give a gift that the cost is equal to the value that they have in our sight. Now, here's what Paul goes on to say. In verse nine, he says, since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. I love verse 10. He says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. While we were his enemies, our sin nature, the wrong things that we've done have made us enemies of God. And made us enemies of God. Where do enemies fit on your value scale? Somewhere around here, right? Somewhere around here. Therefore, anything God gives to us, the cost should be down here. Because our sin has made us enemies of God. Now, some of you here this morning, you might be looking and say, yep, that's exactly where I view my value. You might think that's how much I'm worth. But hold on, because God flips the script on this. God flips the script on this in a crazy way because God decided to give you a gift anyway. And he didn't decide to make you the richest person in the world. That wouldn't have cost him enough. He didn't decide to make you the most famous person in the world. That would be too easy. He didn't decide to make you the most beautiful person, the most powerful person. That wouldn't have cost God enough. Instead, God wanted to give you a gift that matched the value that he sees you having in his eyes. And so he gave you the costliest thing in the entire world, in the entire universe to him. He decided to give you the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, because that was the only thing that he could have that had the cost all the way up here out of this world because it cost him literally everything to give you that gift. So he says, this, this isn't your value. That's not how I view your value. I think you're up here. He says, I think you're up here because you were created in my image. You have the image of God living within you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. And God has created you and God has authored your story, not anybody else. 
So it doesn't matter what those bullies at school say. It doesn't matter what the lies you've heard your entire life. It doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. What matters is what God says about you. And he has given you a gift that matches your value because you are a child of God most high. And he has made us not his enemies, but his friends. Verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We are no longer his enemies. We have now been made friends of God because God has elevated our value. And your value is not based on your looks, your appearance, the amount of money in your bank account. It's not based on the job that you have. It's not based on the income that you have. It's not based on what other people say about you. It's not based on any of that. Your value is based on what God has done for you. It is based on the God that has created you in his image and that has given everything so that you could be his friend. He desires nothing more in this universe than to have his children be close to him. That is why he was willing to give up his own son so that we could cross and so that we could be friends with God once again, so that we could be in relationship with him, so that we could have access to him, so that we could cross the divide. Jesus paid the penalty that we couldn't pay on our own, that we were utterly helpless to defend on our own. Jesus stepped in and took our place. If you backtrack to verse one of Romans five, Paul starts out the chapter like this. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. He says, we have peace with God. God. Not the peace of God. Peace of God is something different. Peace of God is being able to remain calm and trust in him in the craziest things that are happening in life. Peace with God means we are no longer his enemies, but we are his friends. We are not at war with God. We are on the same side as God. And he is fighting our battles for us instead of us fighting him. And Paul goes on and he talks about how If God's already done this, he's already given us everything. He's already fought in the hardest battle against sin and death. Will he not do everything else? All the battles that you have going on in life, they're nothing compared to the battle that we've had to fight against sin and death. And he's already won that battle. He dominated that battle. And if he's already dominated that, will he not take care of everything else? Will he not do it? The Avengers would go on to win the battle of New York, in dramatic fashion, nearly sacrificing their own lives in the process. And afterwards, the, the Avengers come together and they start going their separate ways. And let's check out what happens at the end of this movie. Because we'll need them to. The Avengers would split up, but they weren't too far away. Each time that the world would need them, the Avengers would be there. They'd be there to fight the battles that we couldn't fight on our own simply because we needed them to. And the Avengers would show up again and again and again. God will continue to show up again and again and again because we need him to. Because there's battles that we're fighting that are bigger than we can handle on our own that we're not prepared to fight on our own but he is, and he is powerful, and he's already won the battle against sin and death, so will he not win these other battles? Will he not 
do that. Your value is not based on the circumstances or the battles that you are facing. It is based on what he has already done for you. And he has proved his faithfulness to us already. And so I trust in him to always be there for me when I need him because I will need him and I do need him. And he's always there. He's always walking beside me. And if you have not begun that relationship, if you have not accepted that gift that Jesus has offered to you, I pray that today you would do that. Today you would talk to whoever invited you to come here. You'd come talk to somebody that you know and trust, that you would have that conversation about how you can cross that divide and be friends with God. I pray that you would remember that your value is not placed in anything or anyone except Jesus Christ alone and what he has done for you because of his great love for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. And God, I can never thank you enough for what you have done for us. God, you have given us literally everything. You've given us everything because you love us, because you desire nothing more than for us to be in relationship with you. And God, we couldn't be in relationship with you on our own because we messed it up. God, I messed it up so many times. I messed it up. But God, you did the work. You took the punishment that I deserve. God, you loved me literally to death so that you could love me into life. And you've done that for every person in this room, for every person in this world. You have elevated our value. You have put our value not based on the things that we can do or accomplish or our own strengths and talents. God, you've put our value in the life of your son, Jesus. And that determines it and nothing more. God, we love you and we thank you. I pray that you would become real to us, that people might take their next steps towards you. And maybe that step is crossing that divide becoming friends with you because, God, you're there and you're waiting. We love you, God. We thank you for always being there with us, for always fighting the battles that we can't fight on our own. We love you, God. In your name we pray.